Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Hope you're focusing your week on self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. Why? We are in the middle of a darn pandemic. This is not the time to have lofty goals. Talked about this on I'm Listening. Um, You know... Gotta good, gotta be good to ourselves. Gotta be good to ourselves. I want to share a uh, quote with you that I read. I thought this was really kind of centering. It said, "I always push myself to not let a bad moment become a whole day. Something I wanted fell through, but that's cool. I took a walk. I lit some sage. I prayed, and realized that a bad moment sometimes happens within a great day. Today." is a great day. Don't let a bad moment become your entire day. But we tend to do that. Something bad happens. We're like, I hate today. This is the worst day ever. Wow, we take it in our body, our psychology, our emotion shifts with it. We can sometimes just kind of right size it and compartmentalize it. Yeah, that was a moment. That doesn't speak to how the rest of the day can be, right? And so kind of hold that. The, the news is unlike it's ever been before, at least in my experience, where it's constantly something. I was sharing that yesterday when I was saying how I was just looking at the news about what's going on on Broadway and um, Canada. Canada started going back down under lockdown. You know, not all the provinces, but some of them, including Toronto. Also saw on the news that Madrid has the currently the highest rates in uh, European Europe. And they're going under massive lockdown, really kind of shutting down certain kinds of local travel. They're doing like checkpoints. You know, that that adds weight. Because again, I'm not a nationalist. I, I want everyone to thrive and do well. So when I hear any area or any community people struggling, like people in Madrid or Toronto, my heart goes out to them. I care about everyone in every country. I want everyone to do well. You know what I mean? I'm not just worrying about, you know, my country or my state or my town or my neighborhood or my block or my own family. Like you've got to have more of a collective responsibility and accountability, right? So my heart goes out to everyone because it is not an easy time and it's always freaking something, right? It's like, it's exhausting where I look around, I think, what's next? Well, here's some news. Remember Antonio Sabato Jr.? When I was younger, I think he was more of a model. He was also one of the original, I think, fitness influencers before social media existed. Well, he's complaining right now because uh, supporting Trump publicly has ruined his career. Yeah, that's right. When you support violence and discrimination, which is what you're doing, you support the Trump administration because they're negatively impacting tons of exploited and already marginalized people, um, we're not going to want to hire you. We're not going to want to bring you into different projects because there's a stigma and there should be. Um, we want to hire people that have better values. That's, that's, just, that's, just, how it, that's just how it goes. Like you, you, can't, you can't make us feel bad for that. Now, talking about other 
ridiculousness. Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary, you ever seen Shark Tank? Yeah, basically he's saying he doesn't want America. He doesn't think Americans need another twelve hundred dollars stimulus check. Are you kidding me, dude? Like, talk about being disconnected because of your wealth and privilege, and having and having your feet not rooted. What's going on on the ground? Because he's afraid people then won't use that as a motivating force to look for work. Dude, are you kidding? I can't tell you how many people. Do you know what the unemployment rate is right is right? Do you know what the unemployment rate is right now? Do you understand how many businesses are hiring in in, in relationship to that? Uh, a small percentage compared to how many people need jobs. I have friends that are desperately looking. I have friends that work in HR and are telling me the the the, the they're buried in people reaching out for jobs. So that that's so gross to me because here's the thing. Everyone has a right to getting their needs met and their basic needs met, food, shelter, and healthcare, even if they don't work. Even if someone's saying, you know what, I'm lazy, I don't want a job. That human being is still a person and still has a right to healthcare, they still have a right to housing. I don't care if someone wants to work or not. I think we should all be trying to work less and move away from work. I don't think our worth should be tied to work. I don't think our access to our basic needs should demand that we have a job. Like, no. A lot of people spend their lives working at a company that doesn't even care for them and then discards them. And, and they spent so much time in order to get their basic needs met and then they're discarded and that's supposed to be what we're legitimizing in their culture? No, everyone has a right to their basic needs. It's harm reduction. Even I say with people that are, you know, addicts, they should still be taken care of. And that's, that's a group that people have disregarded by saying we're enabling them when we give them access to their needs. Everyone has a right to get their needs met. And, and it's just so obnoxious to me when people in a higher category are looking down saying, well, aren't y'all working harder? Go get a job. Boo, are you aware of how many jobs are available and how many people are unemployed? It's so classist to think like that. Everyone, no matter what's going on in their life, I don't care what's going on in their life, they have a right to housing, healthcare, food, a safe environment. They're all worthy of respect. So there's just something really dehumanizing in such a comment. And, and I just, I won't support that. There's nothing mental health-based rooted in such a comment. People are stressed. I spend a lot of time trying to hold the hand of people that are wondering how they're gonna pay their rent this month, next month, moving forward, how they're gonna feed their kids. And you're saying they should be more motivated to get a job? No, the government should be sending out those checks. This kind of stuff is so upsetting and frustrating to me. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about sexual accelerators. Uh, we talked about this once before. Um, it's important now because COVID is even, it's, it's, I don't know how long we're gonna be under the lockdowns we are. It's having huge impacts. We talked about this last week also on I'm Listening Live about the impact it's having on the divorce rate and high conflict. People's sex lives are, are, are dying because they're tired, they're burnt out. So let's look at the things that get in the way of that and let's look at the things that kind of push us forward. Uh, also, question of the night is up on our Love Energy page, so uh, weigh in on that. And then we're also going to talk about uh, people with larger personalities. I'm going to tell a story about a time when I got shamed for being a little bit too much. I shared this a little, way back when. It was on a date I went on with someone who was vegan, so I thought all would be well. Well, I was wrong. Anyway, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveland IG page. Weigh in on that. You got a DM, question you want to ask us, slide on into them on the Loveland IG page. Sexual accelerators. Now, when we talk about sexual desire, interest, arousal, all those things, it's usually centered around what prevents us or blocks us from wanting to have sex, right? All the missing factors. But there's this other balancing element called sexual accelerators. So those are the things that allow us to want to have sex, right? It's the things that turn us on. Now, 
you would think that that's really basic and simple, but having done this work for decades, a lot of us haven't done the work to really understand the totality of our sexuality. And I'll say them what turns you on. They'll say, you know, women, men, this height or something like that, really small factors will say, but what do they need to do? And then we start getting, oh, gosh, I really don't know. Really? What parts of your body are the favorite ones to be touched? They'll either say they don't know, or it'll be the same ones. And we don't always know these nuances, but everyone has these like on buttons, these sexual on switches, right? And the keys to figuring out what does each individual need that makes us be more responsive, more interested and push us towards desiring sex, right? And you know, it's not as simple as just add these things, remove these things, remove these things and all's well, but it is about understanding again, these nuances that factor in and have a cumulative effect. So for some of them, um, they are contextual. Some are more psychological and emotional, meaning for some people it's the environment, right? So the partner choice matters. And as we've said on another segment, um, you know, like foreplay extends outside the moment, right? It's not just what's happening in that second. It's how we feel about each other or ourselves prior, like that's still symbolically in there. Okay. But you also have to look around the environment. And I mean that both as vague or as specific as, well, is the room a mess? And does that turn me on or turn me off? Do I even acknowledge or notice that? Some people do, some people don't. How does, how's, how do I smell? How's the room smell? And that's where we talk about these little beautiful things of like adding things that are centralizing or eroticizing, like turn off the lights, maybe add flowers, add some scents, add some sounds. Like these are the additions because those things can actually draw us there, pull us in, spike arousal. It's not always, again, about the removal of things. So that's more of the contextual piece, the lighting, the sounds. But then there's the psychological pieces, right? And those are a little more complex, but that means understanding like what I need to feel safer in the moment. Do you want someone to talk about your body and verbalize how they feel about you? Do you want someone to touch you in a certain place or in a certain way? Um, it's interesting, right? Where some of us, it's more spontaneous and someone can just kind of lean in and start kissing us. And for others, we need more of a bridge. And that's the addition. What do I need to get there? Um, and we don't even necessarily have anywhere we need to get, right? Like sexuality is a big umbrella term. And we often think it just means penetration, but it's this broad term. But what do you need to kind of get yourself in that mood or that space? And it's, it's often interestingly gendered where historically, if I ask someone who's female identified or presenting, what makes them feel sexy, they can tell me. But I'll ask a lot of people that are male identified, what makes you feel sexy? And they don't always even know. I'll say, what do you need to wear? They're like, I don't know. That's shocking to me. Is there anything you need to see or smell? I don't know. What about like sounds? I don't know. And, and again, it's interesting because I think it's, it's toxic masculinity. It's sexism. It's, you know, sex phobia, but it's time as adults to maybe do that work. If, if we don't know ourselves, then we can't be known by others and we can't necessarily have the kinds of sex or the relationships we want to have. And so this is just part of that consciousness. And unfortunately it's left out of, you know, a lot of therapy. We, this is not something we often talk to our friends about. And part of, you know, again, the whole show I'm doing, the sideshow, the live stream show, the I'm listening live, it's about normalizing and destigmatizing talking about mental health. And I want to destigmatize and normalize talking about sexual health because they're intricately tied. We can't have confidence totally if we have parts of ourselves that we have shame or guilt about. And doing the difficult work of being able to honestly be within and express and talk about our true sexuality in the way our culture is structured, that is one of the most self-esteem and confidence enhancing things we can do. Our, our society has set it up that way. And 
that's that's the work is that sexual journey but it's not honored there's so many journeys that are honored you know career um family uh fitness right but if you want to go on this sexual journey I want to take, you know, the summer or the year off to explore my sexuality. People are like, what? You know, and then we even drop into the deeper, darker sexual pathologizing perspectives like you must be a sex addict. It's it's wild. You can travel the country, you know, exploring food and art, but not sex. You know, you can spend your afternoon uh, bird watching or reading about, you know, oh God, whatever, but not sex. So anyway, that's where the journey lies. That's where the work is. It's these accelerators. What do I need that pushes me towards, that gets me interested? Not always looking at what do I need, what inhibits. So use that system. It's the gas pedal. But you got you to figure out for yourself and also know that it's contextualized, meaning the partner you're with that will change it as well. Where with one partner, this is the context or the psychology or emotional experience I need. But with another partner, because it's a different thing I'm responding to, and they're adding their own stuff to the system, it's going to change. So that's why we're a virgin with every new partner, right? We're a virgin again every time with a new partner, and sometimes with the same partner. Who are they today? Who am I today? What will we need today? Based on what's occurred yesterday and this week, and what's happened at work or with friends, right? All these factors. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about feeling like you're too much because of mental health struggles. Happens for a lot of people. And then we'll be uh, doing some DMs. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, it's a personal story, but I think it's valuable. It relates to the topic of feeling sometimes like you're too much because your mental health struggles. So, I was on a date, and this was a couple years ago. Powerful for me, though. I remember, I remember, I remember all of it. And uh, we were on a date, and I was being myself. <laughs> I was being very gregarious, and you know, just energized and having fun. And my date turned to me and said, "Wow, you know, you're a lot, right?" There's so much in that statement. First off, it was very shaming towards who I am and how I show up in the world, right? Because there's no right way. There's no right amount of energy to have. There's no too much or too little. Uh, there's no level of gregariousness or, or I don't know, happiness to be out on a Friday night on a date with a crush, right? Take the compliment, but I digress. Um, but what's interesting is that they were centering what they're comfortable with and implied that anything outside of that, that they didn't feel chemistry or compatibility or, or comfort with, that that was bad or wrong. And also my response basically was, oh wow, I'm not too much, you're too little. I'm not gonna walk around with that shame. Like I think I'm too big for you, I think I'm too much for you. You, you are overwhelmed by my awesomeness. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't say it in such a obnoxious patronizing way, but that was the process I worked myself through while on the date, and also on the way home from the date, just trying to really explore like what, what perspective and narrative do I want to have on what just happened? How do I want to walk away impacted by what just happened? And I said, I, I'm not going to allow this person to make me feel like how I am is not okay because I know that it's beautiful and it's my strength and there's a lot of people that would value it and my work is finding the individuals who do value that and I have and this isn't the right person for me for a multitude of reasons. That's one of them. Also, who says that? They also implied that I was in on it with them. Well, like, yeah, of course I know I am. No, I don't know that, and I'm not. So, you know, here in that, a couple things. One, that we get to decide what we take away from an interaction, 
We get to decide. Do I want to take away something neutral? Do I want to take away feeling bad? Do I want to take away nothing? Do I want to take away feeling better? I chose the empowerment. What's the empowering perspective on this? But still rooted in reality. Um, and we also don't have to be made to feel like it's us that's bad or wrong. You know, this person was uncomfortable with me. That doesn't have to be my burden to bear, right? It's for them because there's other people that love my energy and my power and my strength, you know? So the topic becomes, we sometimes feel like because we have mental health struggles, right? Depression, anxiety, fear, sadness, mourning a loss, that maybe we're too much. And that's a cultural issue because culturally we imply that sometimes you are. I mean, when we hand someone a tissue, sometimes it's because they need one. Other times it's because we're trying to quiet them down and shut them down. Or we say something like, it'll be okay. That's saying I'm, I'm overloaded or I don't want to be present anymore or this is too much or I'm not comfortable sitting in it with you, right? And so we don't culturally value sitting in emotions, tolerating them, understanding that they can come in different levels of power. There's no right level of energy to have around an emotion, around an emotion right? And it's okay for us to feel big or to feel small. It's okay for us to have a lot of energy or a little bit of energy. And we want to be very thoughtful about our commentary that we put out there on someone else, because that person might be working really hard on self-acceptance and you might've really inhibited or traumatized or negatively impacted that, you know? And luckily I was in a position where I was able to hear that and, and, and really make what I wanted to make out of it and say, do I want to, do I agree with that and take that in or do I leave that? But not everyone is. And some people are trying to heal the, heal the trauma and not feeling worthwhile. And I want to say that we never know who we're going to be in terms of our mental health. We never know what's coming. We never know what's ahead. God bless. I hope we don't have to encounter any more traumas than we already have, but maybe we do. And it's not okay for people to feel like that makes them undateable or unrelatable. We know that people that are struggling need help, then help them. Be there with them. Leave people better off for having been with you. How about we empower people? But imagine dating in a way where anything that makes you uncomfortable, you don't agree with, you shame and pathologize, and you leave people worse off. And it might sound like a big deal made of something small, and for some people it is, and for others it's not, because it's a repetitive experience they have, or it reinforces something that they were afraid of. And so I want everyone to know that however you move through the world, hypermanic, hypomanic, high energy, low energy, hyper-depressed, anxious, it's okay. It's okay. You're okay. You're okay as you are. And the work is to find people that can find the value and beauty in that. Because it's not about assimilation and conformity and watering ourselves down. We do want to have an awareness of how we impact others. It's okay to want to work on changing some elements or aspects of us. But that doesn't mean that who we are is bad or wrong. And we never know what's down the road for us mental health wise. And so we want to be very thoughtful about this idea that some people are too much. Too much for you maybe. That doesn't mean that they're too much in general, too much for everyone, or that they need to change. We don't necessarily need to always focus on changing ourselves for other people's comfort, right? Sometimes the work is the person who's uncomfortable going into acceptance and settling down and just allowing. I wish my date had just allowed me. Or they had tried to say, let me try to find the beauty in this. Or let me settle myself down because for whatever reason, I can't tolerate someone being happy and expressive you know, so sit with that, you know, it's work that we have to do on ourselves, but also on how we relate to others. Again, leave people better off, you know, that's what the work's about. All right, coming up next, slide in into those DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. 
All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I've got a question. My partner made it clear when we first met that he wanted an open relationship. One year later, I've discovered that I'm not naturally able to cope with that. Well, that's an interesting way to frame it. Uh, we'll get back to that. The jealousy and fear that it brings up is incredibly painful, but again, that's not, that's not actually natural. That's a socialized emotion, jealousy. We'll talk about that. I also find myself constantly comparing and despairing. My question is, can I work through this? I love him very much, and I'm trying my best. I've read every book I can find, including your book, Rebel Love, which I love, by the way, and I'm currently in therapy. Do you think there's hope for us? Yes, there's absolutely hope for you. Look, uh, a few things. There is no natural. We are so socialized that there's no element of us that's quote unquote natural. All of our thoughts and feelings are socialized. We've been socialized to only see, believe, and practice monogamy. So uh, anything outside of that is very uncommon, is very not familiar. It spikes anxiety. And uh, if we had role models showing us that, we saw the health of that, we practiced that in high school, seeing multiple people and all that, it'd be a lot easier on us, but it's something that's new. And like we talk about with polyamory and different open styles, what we call designer relationships, tons of books on it, tons of people doing it. It's where we're moving, what we're moving towards as people are more you know, practicing of hookup culture and delaying monogamy and just trying all different things. So don't get hung up on, I'm not naturally able to cope because that's actually a narrative that keeps you stuck. You're not naturally not able to cope. It just, as you said later in it, it just doesn't feel comfortable to you. And that's okay. Nothing nothing new does, right? Novel new things often feel very unfamiliar. And can you work through it? Sure. But there's so many ways you want to go about it. There's so many different ways to do an open relationship. And I want everyone to feel in control. I want everyone to feel safe. I want everyone to feel cared for. And I want you to find fun in it. Otherwise, there's no purpose to doing it because I have to imagine your partner doesn't want you just going along with it for their sake, being unhappy and miserable. And if they are okay with that, then we have actually have a bigger problem. So going back to the earlier issue, I hope you're with the right kind of therapist, one that is uh, sex positive. I would actually recommend seeing a certified sex therapist to work through something like this. I would also read a lot of the books. There's amazing books out there. The Ethical Slut is phenomenal. Don't be thrown off by the title. Also opening up by Tristan Terramino, a friend of the show. Also awesome book. And get a little familiar. So that's my first step. Educate yourself a little bit. Start reading some of the books that really explain how it can work, how to deal with jealousy. Number two, talk about practicing it. What would be an experience that would be inching towards openness that would feel okay to you? Maybe you're comfortable just going to um, an event that's centered around that. Maybe you're comfortable just talking about it. Maybe you're comfortable just going somewhere and, and looking around at who maybe you would be open to having sex with. And that's it. That's as far as you're going. You and your partner just looking out into the world. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. You and your partner can set up a Tinder profile together. See if you match with people. Talk with them slowly. See if you can get familiar and comfortable with them. I never say to just jump into these things. I want everyone to feel in control and taken care of. And so I tell people, set some goals moving towards it. Little incremental goals. Check in on how that felt. You can always go backwards if something didn't feel comfortable. Um, but, but I like the journey that you can go on. It also communicates to your partner that like I'm open to try some new things. So don't back off of something because it doesn't quote unquote feel natural. Don't back off of something because it feels you know, a little fear-based. Jealousy is something we're socialized into believing. We're, we're, we are socialized to believe that 
we should have ownership over a partner, that we should be threatened if our partner acknowledges attraction or sexuality towards someone else. And that doesn't necessarily lead to a healthy relationship. And so I'm not saying that open relationships are healthier than monogamous relationships. Neither one is better or worse. It depends on the people within it and how they're running it, right? There's a lot of very unhealthy monogamous relationships. And same thing for ones that are open. Neither is better. But um, you love them very much. And you're in therapy. So yeah, there's hope. Uh, hang in there. See what you're willing to do. Challenge yourself. I'm all about that. But do the, do the reading first. And a lot of people don't, don't want to really do the work. But that's the work. You know, talking about what the rules would have to be for you, talking about what you'd be comfortable doing, talk about self-care after, talk about, you know, the, the ability in the middle of a situation to call it quits if it's not feeling good or right for you and the expectation you'd have on your partner during that. Talk about what you're afraid of. Like, what is the jealousy about? Are you afraid that your partner's gonna leave you for this individual? Are you afraid to see your partner enjoying pleasure with someone else? Is it about, you know, you said the word comparing. Is it about body esteem and that your partner's seeking sex with bodies that aren't relatable or comparable to the body you have? And there's so much that we can learn about ourselves in that. But I would start with the education and I would start by talking through your fears and your concerns, you know, because monogamy is very difficult, difficult, excuse me, over the long haul. You know, um, we can often want some newness and novelty and anything a couple can do together, whether it's hiking, traveling, sex, enjoying new foods can really enhance and strengthen things. So don't think that it's a weakening. It's not a sign that things aren't going well. It's often a beautiful sign when someone wants to experience something with you that it's about them, you know, wanting more closeness and intimacy. So hang in there. Don't panic. You know, I'm all about that stuff. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about the power of rest, which is oh so applicable to what I want everyone to be spending their time doing right now. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, hey, this past Saturday, October 10th, was mental was World Mental Health Day. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of mental health based days. I, I I try to participate in as many of them as I can, but it's very hard. Um, now, what's funny is I'm always talking about how we don't consider mental health, right? We focus, we overly focus on um, physical health, right? To the detriment of mental health. And no definition of health is complete if it doesn't look at the impact of mental health on whatever we're talking about, right? So people will talk about these extreme exercise um, schedules and plans, and I'll say, wait, but how does it impact someone's mental health? How does it impact their ability to participate in their family, their work, whatever? Their stuff matters. We're going to now kind of fold in some more of the physical because I also think in inverse or if looking at the other, you know, gray area is how mental health often doesn't look at how physical health can impact. And uh, I was saying this a lot early on when COVID first started, I need to get back to saying it more. We need to, we need to be getting out and getting fresh air. We need to be moving our bodies. We need to be eating as nutritiously as we have access to, as we can afford, and as we're interested in, to whatever the limit is you're willing to do. Because again, no one has to be well. I, I don't support this idea of shaming people that aren't quote unquote well. We get to be where we are. But you know, there are some things, and I, and I said this, and I read this in a study, and I loved this. There's one thing, right, that will greatly improve everything. Mental health, physical health. There's one thing that you should start making sure you focus on, if nothing else. There's really like two or three things that are just ongoing, never changing, because I know those signs can sometimes be like more of this, less of that, and you're like, what is that? I see that a lot in nutrition. I have a degree in nutrition and food science, and there's a time when it's like, oh no, do butter, no, do margarine, saturated fat this, and people are like, well, what is it? Number one thing that will always be the best foundation for your mental and physical health and your mood will be getting enough sleep. Sleep 
is the foundation for everything. It, if you don't get enough sleep, you are not going to be physically or mentally or emotionally healthy. Your relationship will suffer. Everything suffers. So that's why we have to really look at how, not, not only how long are we sleeping, but the quality of our sleep. If nothing else, that has to be a priority. Talk about sleep hygiene, right? Making your bedroom only about sleep and sex. So it's associated with those two activities and those two activities only. I know a lot of people right now are just waking up and working in their beds. Don't do that. Make yourself move to the kitchen table, the bedroom desk, sit on the couch, sit on the floor, sit outside. Also, turning things off before we go to bed so that we can transition into a good sleep. Also, not making your phone the first thing you reach for. We talk about this a lot as well. Get, a, get an old school alarm clock. Leave your phone in another room. If maybe you're worried about emergencies, put it a little further away. Don't make it the first thing you do. Second to that is move your body. I don't care what you do. Dance, walk, exercise can be weights, Pilates, yoga, stretching. I don't care. Every day, move your body at least 30 minutes. So many ways to do that. You like reading? Walk around while you read. Play some music and dance. You know, we have to move our bodies. That's the second piece. That is vital for everything, especially when we're talking about sexual health. Blood flow, right? Blood pressure, right? Flexibility. All these different things really, really, really matter. So again, the first one is sleep. It's, 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 it's a must. It's one of the first things I check in on clients with. How's your sleep? And that to people seems like a luxury, but it has to be something we center more. Then we talk about how much are you moving, right? And then finally, we talk about nutrition. And we always try to figure out a way to do this in a very body positive way that's not tied to toxic diet culture norms. And the best thing is always going to be trying to get as close as possible to a, to a plant-based diet, trying to get rid of meat, eggs, dairy, all these things that are high in saturated fat and cholesterol. None of those things exist in the plant world. Saturated fat does, but not cholesterol. Uh, the plant world's full of antioxidants. It's full of a lot of fiber. And those are things that are important for mental health and also sexual health, right? Um, because it's all about the health of your systems and, um, plant-based diet, plant-based diet. And then finally, I love this. We, we, again, every day I say you should be centering self-care somehow, uh, self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. And that can be a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to access that, but that's, that's the final thing you got to be folding in there. And I have to make sure I talk a little bit more about that. Keep reminding you guys, I have to remind myself, it's really easy for some of us, you know, my job as a therapist and also doing the radio show, it's a lot of sitting. I love reading, sitting, horror movies, sitting. I have to remind myself to move. I have to say, how much have you moved today? I try to do some home workouts. I do it in, a, in an intuitive movement-based kind of way where I say, what does my body want or need today? And when my body says, we're done, we're done. I don't push myself. I don't think you have to always be pushing and pushing and pushing. I, 60, 60% is good enough in terms of everything. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to overload my system right now, but I want to move my body, but it's okay to find joy and pleasure in the movement. It doesn't always have to look so harsh and rough as it tends to, you know? So, so many different ways to do that. Um, all right, y'all coming up next, we're going to be doing a little body positive, talking about body image, you know, self-esteem deeply tied to it. Then question of the night and DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now let's talk about body image. Oh man, this has been something I talk a lot about because I feel like these days a lot of mental health is really tied to our relationship to our body. 
And as we, as we talk about the impact or the intersections of these different uh, mental health themes, they all tie in, right? So our mental health is impacted by our relationship to our body, our sexuality. Our sexual health is impacted by our relationship to our body and our mental health. Our self-esteem is all of these things tied up and, and the impact they have on us in general. Again, we can't move through the world as competent, successful people when we feel bad about things that turn us on, when we feel bad about our sexual orientation, when we feel bad about our gender, when we feel bad about our body. We just can't. And so all these things are what add up to us being our best. And when I see studies saying that nearly 60% of gay men are unhappy with their body, that is horrifying. And this these numbers apply to straight men as well. It's not a gay issue. It's not just a female identified issue. That's heartbreaking. And the question in the study is just how happy are you with your body? And I want everyone's answer to be something more along the lines of, I don't even know. I don't even think about it. I'm too focused on, am I leading a life that's meaningful? I'm too focused on, am I being a good partner or parent? I'm too focused on everything else. Am I finding joy in my life? Our bodies should be neutral. It shouldn't be something that determines our worth, how good we feel, our mood. It's a vehicle, but we've framed it as an achievement that your worth is tied to the kind of body you have or you've achieved. We need to get to body neutrality where it doesn't matter. It's my vehicle. It's what I move around in throughout the day. Yes, I got to take care of it, but it shouldn't matter what it looks like. And a lot of fitness talk is actually about aesthetics, not actually about health or fitness. Because health and fitness would be my heart rate, my capacity to run long distances, um, my bone density because of weightlifting, my ability to be flexible, all these different factors that we can't see. You can't see it. We don't send our doctor a shirtless pic for our physical. He has to actually listen to our heart and our lungs, take our blood pressure. That is health. And we've tied it to the visual, and that's a problem. So 49% reported feeling unhappy. That is far too high. 10% said very unhappy. So we're now almost at 60% falling in the not so great category. Only 23% said that they were happy. That's, that's not good enough. Now, now, why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons. We put an emphasis not just on having a gym body, but also on youthfulness. And so there's ageism tied in here where we're not allowed to value our aging body right? Which is always going to move away from the vision we have of how we're supposed to look. We don't have good role models or good visual representations of an aging body or a non-gym body as being beautiful or being healthy, right? Um, we also fat shame. I still see it in magazines. People talk about other people's weight gain, weight loss, cellulite, stretch marks. That's, that's so toxic for us and for them, right? Um, you know, again, even on the dating apps, we hear people stigmatizing uh, it's, it's everywhere. I can't really even drive down the street without seeing it on billboards and ads on television in songs. It's really insidious. And again, remember it matters because all of our worth is tied into that. And I posted, and this was my God, I posted a photo that some other person had posted of themselves and they were just really celebrating themselves. And it was a girl and she had a lot of cellulite and it was really heartbreaking to see the comments people posted on it. This person is happy, this person is healthy, this person is quite, you know, uh, what's the word? Like just living their life to the fullest. Like you could tell that there's a lot of joy and just listening, people's unwillingness or inability to keep their negativity to themselves, to not target and attack. 
And it's just like, wow, of all the things you took in in looking at that photo, that's where your mind went? That says everything about you and not about them. That says everything about the work you have left to do. That says everything about what you struggle with. That also says everything about what you think is most meaningful or valuable in a person. My first thought was, she looks so happy. I'm so glad. I see so many people that aren't. I'm glad she's happy. I wonder what she's doing that's making her so happy. That's where my first thought went. But everyone else's was generally about her cellulite. Like, what have we done? What do we continue to do that we've created a world where that even matters, where we think we can attack, where we think we have a right to publicly attack over that, where we even notice that? Let's get away from noticing that. Let's not care. And not everyone likes my opinions on this, but part of that is let's not keep posting our gym selfies because that keeps us trapped and everyone else trapped. Let's stop doing that. We have these social media pages where it's just photo after photo of the same person in their underwear. Take that down. Lead with something else. Market some other aspect of yourself. And if you don't feel great about something else, sit with what that means or why that is. But like, let's stop making the best part that we have to offer or the most valuable part of us is our body or our gym body. Let's get photographers and fashion designers and, and producers and casting individuals to start using all different size bodies. Like that's what the work is. That's liberation. That's honesty. That's mental health. Like I'm personally burnt out myself. And I've done enough work where I'm not as bothered, but I still have body dysmorphia. I'm in our culture. It's really hard to escape our culture and not have some worth tied to that or some struggle within that because we're all socialized around it. But we do have control. Remember, anything that we socially create, like norms, values, and ideals, we they're, they're, they have a flexibility to them. We have the ability to water them down, to remove them, to limit them, to get rid of them. Let's take that power back right? So if you have a large platform, really look at what are you promoting and leading with? And are you hard? Are you helping culture and helping people? Or are you hurting them? It's, it's just so toxic. And it really bums me out. And I even see people in the therapy field that are just posting the photos like that. And I'm like, are you even aware of yourself? What are you communicating to potential clients that are wanting to work on their stuff or learning how to love their body that doesn't fit that standard or norm. Like it's, it's, it's quite, it's disappointing. I, 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 that kind of stuff really lets me know who's doing the work and who's not. And again, it's time to be better. You know what I mean? If not now, I don't know what will be the wake up call. So let's take a, a look at kind of what we're doing. Um, we're going to talk about that on tomorrow's show. Actually, we're going to be talking about social media literacy and just having a better learning uh, moment and, and, and a better understanding of lens on social media and how to better navigate it. So that'll be on tomorrow's show. But um, question of the night, it's coming up next. So still a little more time to weigh in on that. And they'll be doing some DMs. Um, all right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Time for question of the night. All right, here we go. According to Match.com, 25% of people have admitted to hooking up with their roommates during the pandemic because they couldn't go out and meet new people. Ah, yes, romance, romance at home. Friends with benefits, roommates with benefits, RWP. RWB, sorry. <laughs> Would you or have you hooked up with your roommate? I have. <laughs> I don't have one now. Many, many years ago, um, I had a roommate and, uh, you know, we were friends, but we were friends that had the, I guess there's some arousal or uh, erotic possibility there, right? We didn't date or anything, but I had a roommate and, you know, sexuality would sometimes happen and it was really fun. It was really comfortable. It was really dynamic, kind of just brought some more color. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 God, it was a really fun time. <laughs> I just started reminiscing there and I was like, God, yeah. Anyway, stories for another time, y'all. It just isn't, <laughs> it's very love on appropriate. Actually, I was going to say it's not radio appropriate. It's very love on appropriate. Uh, anyway, sorry. Question: 25% of people that have admitted hooking up with their roommates during pandemic. That's a decently high number. I get it though. People are bored. They're horny, you know, kind of. <laughs> Things that might not have looked the way as good before now starts to look better. Um, So the question is, would you or have you hooked up with your roommate? This is going to be good. First person said, yup. I lived with a friend for a few years and we'd hook up when we were both single. Yeah. Someone you feel safe and comfortable with. Look, sexuality is an acceptable entry point for whatever you want it to be. And for some people, it's to strengthen friendships. Um, And then when they find someone that they're more interested in relationally in terms of romance, they move away from that. And is it? Something that someone should be insecure about. Oh my God, I'm dating someone who used to have sex with their roommate. Um, well, do you trust this person? Are you guys monogamous and you trust them and their boundaries are solid? Well, then don't worry about it. Um, we we have to live in reality. We have to stop being so triggered by people. I, you know, people are still very upset sometimes when they're just out in the world in general and someone sees an ex from forever ago and they feel like they have to hate that person. Like, where did that norm come from? That's not legit. That's not healthy. Like, you know, when you enter someone's life, they've already lived a life. They can't limit the life they're going to lead in, in the pot because of the possibility of maybe meeting you at some point, even though they don't even know who you are, you exist and they don't want to upset you. So they should stay single. I mean, it's such a bizarre when you really go backwards anyway. So, uh, would you have you hooked up with your roommate? Someone said, I did start dirty dreaming about my friend, my friend roommates. I don't know what that means. It was crazy hot. And now one of them is my boyfriend. Ah, see the gift of dirty dreaming. I haven't heard that yet. I actually really like that dirty dreaming. Now it's your boyfriend. See, Again, sex can lead to all sorts of things. It's like when people are trying to find love and marriage or whatever it is, I say, have sex with people. That often will establish a connection that you wouldn't have realized was there prior and you build on it. Sex is a beautiful entry point to a lot of different things. Question eight, have you or would you hook up with your roommate? Because match.com says 25% of people have. I bet you it's more. Someone said, not me, but my best friend and her roommate started hooking up uh, once she moved in. They've been together now officially for like two months, but they were living together for seven. Yeah, took time. I mean, that's what's beautiful. You hear stories of people that were friends for a very long time. And then magically one day they start to consider, you know, but that just talks about the flexibility and evolution of eroticism and romanticism and all these different factors. And you never know where you're going to find it. Right. So always be a good person and always have on clean underwear. Right. I'm, I'm in a relationship and uh, that's what I was reminded. Always have on clean underwear, especially when you never know if you're going to do dirties with your roommate. Right. Try to act out that dirty dreaming. I digress. Uh, again, question night. Like 25% of people, match.com study said they've hooked up with their roommate, did some dirties. Would you or have you hook up with your roommate? Someone else said, uh, I've always thought about just going into my roommate's room one night because I definitely, in all caps, feel sexual tension, but I've never done it. It's crossing a line for sure. Well, it depends how you do it, right? I mean, don't just bust up in there like that, right? You want to make sure consent and interest exist. But you could like float the possibility out there, you know? <laughs> I mean, or not. I mean, I think I think the 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 missing factor or caveat that's left out, the qualifier, is um like, you know, 
have we been showering? Are we combing our hair? Are we brushing our teeth? Like the environment and how you're presenting yourself probably matters too. But if you're like me, where I'm just rocking the sweatpants and dirty t-shirts, no one's gonna wanna sleep with me if they're living here. Unless you eroticize that, which is absolutely beautiful too. Like I'm a fan of um, people that don't wear deodorant. I know that's really gross and hard to hear for some, but for me, I like that. And so if someone's not rocking the deodorant, that's good stuff for me. So I'm th- I'd, I'd be thriving that element here in the pandemic. You know what I mean? But look, as I talked about on Monday's show, National Coming Out Day was last week. So there, I'm coming out about some of my kinks, right? <sighs> it's interesting stuff. Um, okay, coming up next is the DMs. Uh, question night's already up, though, for tomorrow's show. So wait on that. And uh, past Loveline episodes. So you can go to wearechannelq.com. They're all there. You can post, share, binge listen. And I'm listening live on all the radio.com handles where I talk to experts and celebrities about COVID and mental health. Again, that's on all the radio.com handles, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And that airs every Thursday live, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. So check that out. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. My name is Rocky. I'm a 30-year-old transgender man. My journey's been tough. I'm sorry. But I've always had my best friend by my side. Always, in all caps. See? It's all about community. Anyone that's on a journey... Anyone that's living in a creative, diverse way based on what our culture deems, anyone who's exploited or marginalized, it's really about finding community. We all need it in general, but especially people that don't meet the, you know, white cis hetero, upper class, Catholic, you know, Euro Western beauty standards, um, whatever that may be. That's such a more jumble. Yeah, we need community. We need people around us that reflect back our values and who we are and show us that we have worth and or have similar experiences. And that's where, you know. Social media is a really beautiful way for people to access that. But, you know, always think about that. You know, you don't have to be alone on the journey. And social media now gives us access to people around the world. There's really great private groups on Facebook and online and uh, even group therapy centered around all different things. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily be alone. So I love that you had this person. The question, though, continues to say, when I told her I was transitioning, she was so supportive, offered to come with me to doctor's appointments, everything. I haven't had my surgery yet. But it, was scheduled, uh, but it was scheduled during the pandemic and now it's pushed back till next year, hopefully. Anyway, she just got a new boyfriend who I'm pretty sure is either scared of me or just doesn't like me, period, because of who I am. She started to call me less. We hang out more. Uh, but they're always together. I've called her out about it and she just says that she's either working or that her boyfriend has something planned. I'm losing my best friend because her best friend doesn't approve of me. Oh, that hurt my heart. I'm sorry to hear that. And, you know, I lovingly and with respect just ask, is that absolutely what that might be? I mean, it is possible that some people when they get in a relationship like like this person, they're working a lot and now their partner wants to see them. Some people date in a very close way where they see their partner as much as possible. And for some people, they're less available to their friends. It could be just part of that. So I would advocate for you to build even more intimacy, even more closeness, even more vulnerability with this person who you already have that with that you trust and talk about this and say, hey, I miss you. Why can I see you more? What's going on? I miss you and give your, this friend or give her a chance to explain. Maybe she'll say, thank you for telling me. I've just been so busy and focused on trying to date. Or maybe she'll say, yeah, my, my, my boyfriend's really struggling with your trans identity, um, which would be really, really horrible if this person wasn't able to teach and educate her boyfriend about 
the worth and value of all human beings. Like it would really bum me out if she's going down that route. That's why I'm hoping that's not the case. If it is the case, it's not much you can do than advocate for your friend to be a better friend. Um, but I do see people that lose people they care about because of they get into a relationship and they're less available and they're working a lot. Um, but yeah, if she's willing to support this person's discrimination, because there's no reason why she can't be friends with both. I mean, that's the whole thing. I always say, you don't have to like the person you're dating's friends. You don't have to spend time with them. In fact, you don't need to at all. Let them go spend time with their friends and have friend time and then let them be with you and have your dates. Not everything has to be brought in, but I do respect the idea that you know, the person you're dating or the person you're friends with, their friends or the people they're dating, that that is going to kind of get in the way in some forms. You really got to talk it out more, though, because it really falls on this friend of yours to decide how they want to run this. And you want to maybe just call it out, uh, but you're at the mercy of it. So it might be possibly meaning you have to mourn the loss of this friend because they're choosing this person's anxiety and prejudices over you. It's the world we're in right now, and I'm sorry to hear that. But please continue to work on expanding your social circle and your and building community, and do that anyway. Either way, regardless of where this lands. Um, but I'm really sorry to hear that. It's heartbreaking. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world, and we want you to explore with confidence. Oh man, tough times, y'all. It's heartbreaking. I wish I had an amazing answer for everyone that just heals everything, resolves everything. But sometimes there isn't anything we can do. You know, we can't change other people. We can only set boundaries for ourselves and decide who we're going to be and what we'll let in our life and what we'll be around. And uh, hope that other people will make the best decision and and really honor relationships that we've built with them. But that doesn't always happen. So let's be better people. That's the message in a lot of these questions: is let's not be those people that are creating some of the harm in these DMs. All right, y'all, that's our show. We'll be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. All the shows are podcasted at wearechannelq.com. Question of the night is always up, so uh, go on our Loveline IG page. The question of the night's in the stories and drop some DMs if you have a question for me on the Loveline page in the DMs. Y'all, thanks for hanging out. Have a beautiful, beautiful night.